Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is December 19th, and Pastors Brad Blakely and Mike Nay wrap up this sermon series on the Christmas spirit. Let's take a listen. But we've just been really enjoying this Christmas season and a series that we've entitled The Christmas Spirit. Yeah, and so if you haven't, if you haven't registered for the Christmas Eve services, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. You can do that on, on the, the link there to your, the QR code on the front of your um, seats there. I'd encourage you to do that uh, so that you can have a spot this Christmas, Christmas Eve. And then as, other, as you heard earlier, the Christmas morning outreach to do the same. Um, so many of you have your, your shopping all done, right? <laughs> right? Some of you still have shopping to do. Uh, some of you keep watching when your last deadline is to uh, order something that will be shipped on time. Uh, some of you, that's become your, your thing. Um, I, this week I found myself, I was in the department store in the middle of an aisle, uh, which isn't my favorite place to be. Um, and it looked, like, it looked like many of your homes when you aren't expecting a guest Right? Have you, do you have that home? Like it looks really pristine when visitors are coming, but all the rest of the time, it's chaos. Uh, and that's what this aisle felt like. I was standing among like just products everywhere. Everything's all over the floor and it's just a mess. And I was, uh, as I was thinking, I could hear people in the other aisles and they were saying things out loud that I was thinking. Um, and <laughs> one of which was, uh, I don't know what to buy. Uh, four, and then they said whoever. And which is interesting to be in a, in a space of a thousand products and I don't know what to buy, right? And that tends to be the issue with making decisions, that if we have too many decisions, we're paralyzed by it and we won't make any decisions. Some of you, some of you are the person at the, at, on Christmas Day that will tell us what you thought you should buy us, but you never did. <laughs> You're like, oh, I was gonna buy you this, but then I didn't. Um, and then not only that, but in decision-making, we, we fear that uh, we aren't getting the best thing, right? So we're concerned about, man, I have all these options. I wanna get the best thing. And then after you buy something, another fear is that you didn't get the best thing. And that's all you think about. Even Christmas morning, you're like, oh, I should have done this instead of this. Uh, And that's what happens with lots of our decisions. Researchers study uh, decisions all the time. And we make a ton of them throughout the day. So when you wake up, what to wear? And then what to eat? And then who to hang out with? And what to post? And then what to stream? And then what to eat again? and then eat again, right? Like all of these decisions that we need to make and our decisions, even though we may not even be aware of it, subconsciously there are things that are influencing our decisions that we make, uh, whether it's the status quo. Like you may not even be aware that status quo has a significant impact on the decisions you make each day or the biases and past experiences. There are things that have happened to you and you make decisions based on those even unaware or this herd mentality, everybody else is doing it, and so I make the decision to do the same. Or what makes the, what is, whatever it is that I choose it has to give me the greatest benefit. That tends to be the big determining factor on decisions. But there are many decisions you and I make, many choices we make in a day that are split second, and they happen on the inside. It's usually how I respond to a situation. When, may, when something comes across me, how I would respond to that. And so my split choice decisions are, are what to say, or more importantly, what I shouldn't say uh, for some of us. 
And, and then what I should be thinking about, some of us have to tweak our thinking because we've been thinking this way all morning and I need to shift. Uh, and oftentimes what we need to do is we need to consider who or what is influencing those internal decision-making things. And throughout scripture, God invites us to let him have a part in that. So in Psalms, it says this, Psalms 25, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. God would invite each of us in, and the whole passage of Psalm 25 is in that invite of allowing God to influence the decisions that we make. And, and so what we've been doing for the past four weeks is talking about choosing to have a certain mindset or choosing to react a certain way. And that the way we can do that as believers is we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for those choices to be played out because they're not our default. These choices that we're talking about are not our default. Yeah. They're the things that require us to depend on the Holy Spirit, especially in many difficult circumstances, like we consider the Advent story of Jesus arriving on this earth and, and the story, the characters around that and the choices they had to make. So the truth is that, that with the Spirit of God, hope is a choice and joy is a choice. Last week, we talked about generosity being a choice. And today, love is a choice. Yeah. Yeah, if there's ever a, a single word that kind of summarizes the Christmas story, it's love, right? The Christmas spirit births love into the world. It's the story of the creator entering creation. The one from whom all things have originated becomes a baby. I mean, that is just mind Mike shared a, a, um, a quote from somebody, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, uh, in our pre-service prayer time. And he said, you know, um, the quote goes this, goes like this. There have been a lot of babies who become kings, but only one king who became a baby. And you think about that. That's the story of Christmas, the story of love. You know, we've been talking about the Christmas spirit in this series because we live in a challenging time, right? We've been in this challenging pandemic for a year and a half or whatever, and, and, or longer now. And, and it just seems like if we're not careful, we're letting the world, the spirit of the age, the fears, uh, the news, the pandemic, inflation, whatever, right? Kind of like turtles, kind of pop your head back in your shell. You know, you have that, that temptation, and I'm saying as a believer, friends, we are not turtles, man, because this is the quote of the day. We are not turtles, right? <laughs> man, we are believers in Jesus, the one who defeated death. Come on, somebody, right? We are, the one, we are the ones who are children of the day, who believe our certain coming king will one day reign on this earth, and every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Hmm. That's what we believe. And so I'm going to choose to believe in the hope of Christmas, and that choice is going to bring joy into my life. And joy is going to overflow into generosity. And today we're going to talk about love. So we've been talking about this decision, church, this decision to put our hope in what Jesus has done. And we're not letting anything steal the Christmas spirit from us. Can I get an amen to that, right? Yeah. Man, how impacting would it be at your work? How impacting would it be in your family for you as a Jesus follower to, to not let the chaos of the world dictate your mood or your choices, right? To say that I'm anchored deeply. I'm like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Hmm. My roots are deep. They're not subject to whatever wind is blowing in the world. 
That's the life of a Jesus follower. That's the life of faith. And I want to just say this to you guys. Today it's the pandemic, but tomorrow it's just going to be something else. Here's my point. There will always be a reason to start following Jesus later. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) There's always going to be a reason. Today it's the pandemic. Well, I'll start being generous later when the pandemic's over. I'll start, you know, living out this joy when I have a reason for joy, you know, like when the sun is shining again. Listen, there's always an excuse. There's always a reason to, to, to punt on that. But a Jesus follower is someone who says, listen, I'm not waiting for the sun to shine for me to live by faith. I'm not waiting for everything to be perfect so that I take a step of obedience. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that step if it's nighttime, if it's daytime, if the, there's a pandemic, if there's not. And, and I need a community of Jesus followers to come around me and help me on that. And so we're gonna look at the story of Joseph today and he makes some, state, some decisions that are so loving, so sacrificial that we're here today talking about it because he chose to cooperate with Yahweh in his plan of redemption. You know, I believe that whenever God acts, whenever Yahweh acts, he always acts in sacrificial love. The ways that Yahweh acts is always gonna be with a sacrificial love. And when he invites you into his story, when you're invited to join God in his work, it's it's gonna require your and my act of sacrificial love as well. So let's dive into Matthew chapter one and let's look at Joseph's story today. As he follows what God's plan for his life was in such a spectacular way. So this is in verse 18 of chapter one. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about these ancient Jewish betrothals, engagements, uh, and, and the rest um, for a second. You know, engagement trends change uh, over time, and everything's changed so fast in my lifetime. When I got engaged to Michelle 22 years ago or something like that, our, our engagement was on Christmas Eve. Oh. It'll be 23 oh. years uh, this Christmas Eve, so it's amazing. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so excited. But but what 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 was popular then uh, is different than today. Like, and I, I sound old saying that, but it's true. Like today, you want to get engaged at like a destination with like a photographer hiding in the bushes, like <laughs> catching the moment, right? And and maybe some people did that, but that wasn't really big. There was no Instagram to post on or anything like that. Today, also these baby announcements, you know, where you just shoot blue or pink or whatever, that, that wasn't a thing. And, and our kids aren't even that old. So that's changed in the last 12 years or whatever, or 11, right? Our kids you are 11, right? Old. Yeah, I am getting old. <laughs> I am. Anyway, the point I'm making <laughs> is that engagements, the trends today have changed, but back in the Jewish day, hmm. engagements were very formal. They weren't private. They weren't for a couple in this perfect moment. They were more transactional. There were more, there were, there were financial connections between two families. Most of the time marriages were arranged. It wasn't that the couple couldn't consent or not. They, they, they had to agree, obviously, but there were financial arrangements made between families. And there were at least three ways these families were economically tied during the engagement period, not even the marriage, but the engagement period. And there are reasons behind it. Here's the first one. 
The first thing that would happen when, once the agreement was made that these two would be married, there was a bride price that was paid to the groom's, or I'm sorry, to the bride's family. So the groom's family would pay the bride price to the groom to the bride's family because the bride is leaving that family and the economic hit to that family would be felt. So the groom is, and his family's paying for the, for the bride to, to join his family. There was also a dowry that was paid and the dowry was given to the groom via the bride, via the bride's family to help them build their home and to start their life together. And so that was a transaction that was happened, happening during this betrothal period. And then there would be a, a gift from the groom to the bride. And that was just the, 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 the gift that just shared, showed his love for her. And so these engagements would last about a year. Um, they were, as I said, they were transactional. They were, they were a financial binding of these two families. During that year, the groom would be building the home to take his wife um, after their wedding ceremony into, their, into his family. Many times that home was connected to the family estate or the family house, right? Because they had these ancestral lands that they would work the fields. And so it was a, a, like an apartment attached to the, to the house. And so this was a very integral part of their culture. And so when we meet Joseph in the story, we're meeting him in this engagement period with Mary, in this year-long period where they're making preparations. And here's the turn in the story. Here's the surprise. She's found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we as the readers understand what's happening, but Joseph doesn't. Could you imagine the news, the shock, the hurt that Joseph, this young man felt? The text tells us in a minute, we're gonna learn that he has this righteous character. So he's a good guy. I mean, he doesn't deserve this. I mean, this is a blow to his plans, to his honor, to everything he's been doing, all the arrangements. And so this is a really a big struggle um, for Joseph. In in this day, the brides, the bride and groom were to be sexually pure, but, but virginity for the brides was especially important. And let me tell you why. Part of it has to do with these financial discussions I just, I just made, I uh, just told you about. Because if the bride is not faithful to the husband and the bride is divorced from her husband, all of those financial connections, all of that arrangement that they made between the home, between the two families, now she's forfeiting them. And so for a bride to be found unfaithful and then divorced forfeits all of the dowry, forfeits all of the financial security, and she's sent back to her home, her family, her father's home, empty-handed greatly diminishing her opportunities for another marriage. And this, this really it was extremely, extremely um, difficult for, for a woman. So not only do you have the social ostracization, the, the shame that comes along with an unplanned pregnancy, but you also have the financial hit. And so this is what's happening in, the, in our story. In verse 19, we, we see Joseph having a dilemma. It says here, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to, to expose her public, to a public disgrace. And I'll explain that in a minute. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, many of the teachers of the law of his day 
actually taught that it was required for a husband to divorce his wife if she was unfaithful. Now, the Torah didn't explicitly say that. Um, obviously, um, a pregnancy could have come about as a result of a rape. Um, and so there, there, there's always that going on. Mary's not claiming that happened. And so Joseph obviously is assuming that she was unfaithful to him. And so he's trying to be faithful to the law. So he's thinking, well, my options are really, I have to divorce her. But in that divorce, he has two choices. He could do a public divorce or, or a private divorce. And this text is interesting because it says that he um, did not want to expose her to a public disgrace. And so he's, you can see his character here. Uh, undoubtedly, he's heartbroken. Uh, the sting that his future bride was unfaithful is obviously a wound to his pride. In fact, uh, I was reading about this this week and they say that, uh, and, and of course, many of these things hold today, but you know, adultery and, 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 and this type of thing is among the worst things that could happen to a spouse. And, and part of the reason, especially in that day, is because they, they considered it a theft, right? And the worst theft that a, a man especially could endure would, would be the theft of his wife, right? And so this is all going on in, in Joseph's uh, heart. And so he's going to make this decision to divorce her quietly. What that means Rather than the public divorce where he would write her a bill of divorcement and take the dowry and not return it to her, he's going to take um, what would be the best scenario for Mary, which is to have two or three witnesses in a private setting in front of those witnesses, write her a bill of divorcement, but return the dowry and hopefully Mary can go on with her life. And, and so Joseph is considering these options and he's going to take the second option. He's going to take the quiet option, which I think reveals about his heart. Look at this next um, text though. So, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. Again, we read this. Some of us have been going to church a long time and you know the Christmas story and you know about this dream, but I wanna just really try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. You're, you're tossing and turning at night. You're, you're, you're wounded. You know, the, the whole world thinks a lot of things about you and Mary, right? And, and because I'm sure there's some rumor going out and you don't know what to do and you have a dream in the middle of the night. And in this dream, the text says that an angel appears to Joseph and says these words, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Don't be afraid. Well, what's Joseph afraid of? He isn't afraid of being the father to the Christ child because he doesn't know that's who Mary has <laughs> you know, growing in her womb, right? He doesn't, he's assuming like any of us would have assumed that she was unfaithful, you know. What's the fear that the angels identified? It's this fear of the shame that would come along with marrying Mary. The fear of the scorn. You see, as a, as a man who would go through with a marriage to a girl that's pregnant with somebody else's child, there's really only a couple of things the world would think, the culture would think. One is that you're the father of the child, and so you guys haven't really been honorable, right, in this pre-engagement time, right, in this pre-marriage time. 
But Joseph knows that's not the case, but that's one thing people would think if you went through with the marriage, you must be the father. The other option is if, if, you, if it's known that you're not the father, then the, the other cultural ex- expression, the other feeling would be that you're a fool. Why would you marry a girl that you know isn't faithful? What are you thinking? Why would you do that? So Joseph has these fears. The angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I wanna make one comment about this prophecy that Matthew pulls into his story. It comes from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. But I wanna make it clear that Jews of his day typically weren't expecting a virgin birth, right? Uh, So just because Matthew points to this prophecy doesn't mean that Joseph in this dream is like, oh yeah, of course, that prophecy, that's what's happened here, right? That isn't really what was widespread. Now, there may be some Jews that were able to look and think about maybe there was gonna be a virgin birth, but most Jews of the day believed that prophecy had already been fulfilled, That when Isaiah prophesied, if you read the text in its context, you'll see that the very next part of that prophecy, there's a young girl who has a baby and it seems to have been fulfilled in that time, seven centuries ago. But what is true of biblical prophecies is many times they they have double fulfillments. There's a time in, in, in history when it's fulfilled, but then it's a, a shadow of another prophecy and another fulfillment that's yet to come. And it's not until you see the whole picture that you see that the, the fulfillment had a double fulfillment to it. And that's what's happening here in this, this text. And so Joseph is told that this is a prophecy that's fulfilled and that in this baby, the Christ child, God will with us is going to be born. But then he wakes up. I, I like that. When Joseph woke up, when Joseph woke up, think about that. It's one thing to have a crazy dream. It's one thing to be inspired by an angel. It's one thing to have a vision. But what happens when you wake up? What happens when you wipe the sleepies out of your eyes and you think, wow, that was a crazy dream. What am I gonna do next? See, it's when you wake up, you have a decision to make. It's not when you get these visions on a mountaintop and you get this emotion in a church service, you get all stirred up to go do something for God, right? In an emotional moment, we can do anything, right? But it's when you wake up and the harsh reality of the choice is in front of you that you need to make a decision. Let me say this to you. Life is all about the choices we make. And some of us, are in this room, we can look back at our lives and we can say, boy, I wish I would have known that when I was 15 years old, right? Some of us have said, we, 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 we don't realize how significant choices are. These forks in the road, right? Are we gonna go right or left? When we wake up, what are we gonna do? When you wake up, what choice are you gonna make? You know, I was thinking, I was talking about choice and I was thinking about <clears throat> a year in review. You know, we do that at this time of year. We think about 2021. How was this year? How did it go? 
what are the choices I made? What, what are the best standouts, the best memories of my year? Can I, can I argue that I think the best memories of 2021, if you just reflect on it for a bit, will have memories around decisions you made to, to love somebody well. That's what's gonna stand out. When you think about your year or when you think about the last five years, see, if I just picked a random date from the calendar and I said, hey, what'd you do on you know, Tuesday, September 5th? You know, I don't know, I went to work, I, right? Because most of the days are a blur, right? Most of the days we don't remember. We, we got up, we ate, all these decisions Mike was talking about, right? We, we, we worked, we slept, we, we did it again, right? It's like Groundhog's Day or something, right? But the truth is, if I ask you, what was, the, what was your favorite memory from 2021? I bet it has something to do with a decision you made to do something intentional for somebody else. Because that's what stands out in life. If you go to a funeral and you hear someone give a tribute to the person who's deceased, they always are gonna talk about the moments they shared investing in somebody else, the way they expressed love. Let me, me, me ask you this question. What do you do when you wake up after a dream that says, go through with the hardest decision of your life? Do you have the faith to say yes? See, Joseph, he made that decision. The text says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. Let me make a statement. This is my big idea for today. When we choose to love, when we choose to love, we are choosing to join God in his work. When we choose to do what Joseph did that morning, when we follow that example, I'm going to, I know that was a dream and you could dismiss it. I'm sure he was tempted to, right? I'm sure he said, oh, that was just a weird dream, right? But, and to not act on it, right? Because everyone in his culture would have been pushing him towards divorce, right? But he's deciding, I'm going to do what the angel commanded. See, this is a, this is a powerful turn in our story. Joseph's dilemma turns into Joseph's self-denial. He was not sure what to do. He had that dilemma. But after that dream and after that choice, now he's making a choice to deny himself. He's gonna deny himself his honor. We're gonna see some other things that he'll deny himself in this, in this decision to make Jesus a part of his family, to bring Mary into his family. And this tells us something about love, this choice of love. Love always requires self-denial always. When you choose a Joseph-like love, when you choose to follow God's plan and to join God in his work, you will also at the same time be choosing to deny yourself in some way because that's what love costs. The thing about love though, when you really are in love with something, you aren't thinking of those costs. You're doing them, you're making those sacrifices, but what's, what's motivating you is this affection. You're motivated, you're gripped by this love. And so in that gripping, in that decision, you're like, I gladly give that up because love is worth it. It's for love's sake that Jesus came into this world. It's for love's sake that he took upon himself our sin on the cross. It's for love's sake he laid himself down for us. It's for love's sake. And so Joseph in this story becomes a picture of Jesus. 
You see, when Joseph made the decision to take Mary home as his wife, he's making a decision to take on Mary's reproach, his, her dishonor, her shame as his own. He, he, as God does in the Old Testament, he covers Mary with his wings and invites her into the protection that a covenant with Joseph in marriage would bring to her. Without that decision, without that marriage protection, Mary is alone. But in this story, Joseph puts his yes on the table and, and covers Mary in his reputation. And, and in so doing, takes upon himself Mary's own shame. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Unlike Mary, we are truly guilty, right? Unlike Mary, we truly, we've done things that are, that are wrong, but Jesus and his love takes upon us or takes upon himself our sin and our shame. And this is the story of Joseph. I have one more text. Back in Matthew, look at what happens at the end. Matthew chapter one, I think it's verse 25. Yeah, he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to his son and he gave the name Jesus. It's, it's, it's in all likelihood, right? That is when Mary joined Joseph in, in their family, in their home, Mary was with Joseph. They're sharing a bed. They're together, they're married. But the text is clear that Joseph denied himself, even in their marriage, until after the Messiah was born. Joseph is a picture of self-sacrifice and love and faithfulness in this story. And that really kind of brings us to, to the spirit of Christmas, right? This decision that we have. When you think about, am I gonna follow the spirit of Christmas? Am I gonna love people like Joseph did? Am I gonna put myself on the table and deny myself so that I can love someone else in a selfless way? That's the way of Jesus. Mike, tell us, how does this flesh out, this living and loving others in the way of Jesus? Yeah, so what we wanna do is just together do this thought exercise of that very thing. What is the way of Jesus when it comes to loving someone? Like what are you and I, if we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ, like what has God called us into to love? And we, we look at the story of Joseph and it's an incredible example of what we are to do. But look at 1 John chapter four. There's, there's a, a disciple of Jesus who just saturates one of his letters in the love of Jesus. Like he talks about it over and over. Here's what he says. We love because he first loved us. So our love is not from ourselves. We're not the source of it, but because God's love for me, it's gonna pour out from me. And earlier on in the same letter, he says this, God is love. He, he, um, he, he brings us in and says, Jesus is the personification of love on earth. And God is love. Whoever lives in love, loves, lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Here it is. In this world, we are like Jesus. You and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, are in this world to live like him. So how did Jesus love? How did it look? Well, love is inviting lowly shepherds to be the first to meet him on his arrival. Love is touching the untouchable and the diseased. Love is having dinner with Zacchaeus after he's robbed his own people over and over again. Love is spending time with a Pharisee who wouldn't want to be seen with Jesus in the daylight. 
Love is befriending a woman who's had five husbands. Love is, is letting a woman who has sinful reputation touch him. Love is having compassion for the one who said discipleship is too costly and walks away. Love is running towards a prodigal. Love is finding and seeking a lost sheep. Love is unburdening those with anxiety and fear. Love is kneeling down to young children and receiving them and saying, this is the kingdom of God. Love is healing a child of an enemy of Israel. Love is washing the feet of the very one who's gonna betray him in just a few hours. Yeah. Love is patient with a man who can't get control of his tongue and denies Jesus three times in a row within just hours. Love is forgiving those who are at the very foot of a cross, who once cried crucify him, who are now playing games over his clothing. Love is saying to the one who doubts his promises and his words and says, hey, touch my wounds. These are for you. Love is enduring, love, love is enduring mockery and spitting and pulling of a beard and torture and walking a cruel road with a cross on their back, climbing onto that cross, being nailed to it, being put up, displayed for all people, a very shameful act and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then three days later, he conquers death, he rises from the grave so that you and I would have eternal life, that we would have a life abundant, not no longer in bondage over sin. Love is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in that freedom. Do you know what? The choice not to love is bondage. Bitterness just shackles us. When we can think of a person that has just done horrific things and the bitterness that goes along with that is shackling. I know that, I know it well. And we are to be like Jesus in this world, to this world, to live the same way. Over a hundred years ago in the deep South, there was a phrase that described a person who was captured by that love. It wasn't born again. That phrase was rarely used in the deep South at at this time frame. And here's the phrase that describes a person who meets Jesus. It's one who is seized by the power of a great affection. That this affection for me was so much that my life would radically been transformed by it. I was seized by it. I was gripped by it. I no longer could live the way I used to. Now I'm a new person seized by the power of a great affection. And John 15 says this, as the father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, So I have loved you. Now this is what we do, brothers and sisters. We live in that love. We abide in that love. We are saturated with that kind of love for others. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That this would be my life from this point forward. And so here's our thought exercise as we prepare to close out today. What we wanna do is actively in these moments, just pray to the Father that he would reveal to us the people he wants us to demonstrate his love to. And we're gonna do that first here and then we're gonna ask you to go throughout this week and just continue to pray that. Father, who do you want me to show your love to? And this could be a person of 
that comes right to mind that's an unloving person. It's one that might be gathering with you this Friday or Saturday, right? And you're already like, oh, that person's difficult to love. Okay, so the source of my love is not myself, it's the Spirit of God, uh, right? So there's that. There's also a person that you don't even know yet that God will bring past your, on your path and he's gonna ask you to love them deeply. Yeah. That's how Jesus lived every day. And so what we wanna do, just in an in a, in a act or practice of prayer, asking the Father, reveal to me who you want me to love, especially this week, and then going right into 2022. Like, how do you want me to love? How could this just saturate who I am? You know, <clears throat> one of my joys as a pastor is to see people taking active steps in their following of Jesus. It's just such a thrilling thing. And I, I received a text last week uh, from a person who really just felt compelled to ask, was there anyone else that needs any help during this Christmas uh, season that I knew of? And I knew of a family that had gone through some really significant financial uh, hardship. And so I made it known to this person. I said, hey, uh, there is a family I know of and uh, I can get you the details. Please get the details. So I got some of the details, was able to find out the current state status of everything. And um, when I let this uh, person know, that was really all I needed to do. And it set a chain of events in motion that I kept getting these texts, uh, little updates I wish I could read them to you. Everyone wants to be anonymous and I understand that, but there's so many just texts of joy of how one thing led to another, new ways to be generous, new ways to love this family. I'm guaranteeing you they've never had a Christmas like this Christmas. It wasn't just one family, but it was an entire life group, an entire group of people that just surrounded others. And it was so powerful. And it's exactly what we're talking about, taking these decisions seriously. You have this angel that comes to you at night. Don't be afraid. You wake up the next morning and now you have a choice. Our life is a result of the choice. Are we gonna follow God or not? And so we wanna lead you in this. We want you to take this sermon seriously. Are you gonna put your yes on the table? Are you gonna just make that choice to love people well? And so we wanna give you a, a minute right now to quiet your hearts. Mike's gonna lead us in this prayer time yeah. of asking the spirit to reveal to us people that we need to love this Christmas. So this could be in, a, in somebody in your row that you could pray with. This could be you praying just between you and the Father. This could take some time where you say something like, Father, show me, and then you just stay quiet because a good conversation is a dialogue, not a one-way conversation. So just preparing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. It could be that. It could be where you text somebody and just say, I'm, about, I'm praying right now. Just wanna let you know I love you. Or it's someone where you're asking, hey, I'm, I feel like I need to love somebody and it's really difficult, can you pray for me? Because I just don't know how I can do this. 
And then, then if, if you need prayer, we're gonna have some intercessory prayer, those who would be willing to pray with you. If you need somebody just to pray over you, to give you the strength, and, and to pray that the Spirit of God would work in you in a specific situation, we'll have people praying over you. So those of you who are willing to pray with others, if you wanna make your way up to the front or make your way into the aisles, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. And in this standing, it will allow some people to make their way out. If you'll stand with us, and we're just gonna be in postures of prayer. So if you end up needing to just kneel or, or to sit too, you can do that. Just the standing will allow some people to slip out. And so if you, if you need prayer, if you want someone else to pray over you, if you would step out, just be bold and step out and ask for that prayer. We know that uh, Christmas can be a very hard time for some. And maybe you came to church today and you are carrying a burden. You, This might be the first Christmas that you're without somebody special in your life. We know we've experienced a lot of death, a lot of loss. Or maybe there's just someone you know that's going through that and you just wanna pray for them. Would you, we, we, we just wanna be a house of prayer. So if you're carrying something, please come to someone and get prayer today, get prayer today. Who needs some prayer? Let's, let's just give some space for prayer.